If you brought a Bible with this morning, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. It is the last Sunday of 2020, and therefore it's the last Sunday before we start a new year. And many of us, as we look at a new year, make resolutions. Resolutions are ultimately answers to the question, what kind of person do I want to be in this new year? What does it take to be that kind of person? What I want us to see this morning as we think about this idea of resolutions or what kind of person do I want to be or what kind of person should I be is that our view of reality shapes our resolutions. How we see reality shapes what we think we should do or be. How we answer the question, who am I and what is the good life, shapes our resolutions. Think about the most common resolution. I bet you can guess what it is, because many of you have probably made it. It's something to do with health, right? Either eat better, exercise more, be healthier in general. If we look at that resolution, if we look at the resolve to do something in our life to lead to health and well-being, we see how we answer those questions, who am I and what is the good life? Who am I? Well, you are what you eat, right? You are how you look. You are the energy level that you feel. What is the good life? It's to have the beach body. Or maybe a little bit better, to be, to be well enough to enjoy the things of life. Or to have a sense of well-being. The difficult thing about answering the question, who am I and what is the good life that way is that that doesn't last, right? Get well soon, be healthy, is meaningless to someone on their deathbed. It is empty to tell someone that's dying, get well soon, because it's not going to happen. We all face mortality because of the curse, right? The Bible tells us a true reality, but we need to be aware that culture itself shapes our view of reality. Who taught us that the good life is to be healthy? Why do so many make a resolution that has something to do with health, diet, exercise, well-being? It's because our culture has shaped that view of reality that says this is the good life. Our culture shapes our views of reality in many ways, Most prominently now, in the answer to who am I, our culture says, look inside yourself. Ask yourself who you want to be. And then do what it takes to be that kind of person. The answer to who am I is found inside of me, according to our culture. And what does it mean to live the good life? It's to learn to love yourself, so that you can then love others. It seems... Like it has a ring of truth, right? I must learn to love myself before I can love others. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not love yourself with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself, is it? It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, our culture subtly shapes our view of what is real 
who we are and what it means to live the good life. But the Bible tells us the true reality that we are people made in the image of God. That our fundamental identity in Christ Jesus is sinners saved by grace. A new creation in Christ Jesus with a new king and Lord and master. And that the good life is not being who we want to be. The good life is actually following Jesus, walking with Jesus in apprenticeship to Christ. As God's people, we need desperately to conform our lives to true reality as taught in God's word and not to a reality presented by our culture. And yet we are constantly informed in our view of reality and therefore in our resolutions, what we do by the culture. How do we as God's people conform our lives to the true reality found in God's word? We need a theological picture of reality. We need to learn what reality is by learning God's word. And then we need to learn how to walk according to that reality. Kevin Vanderhuser says that theology teaches us to live the good life in light of the good news to the glory of God. That's the purpose of theology. That's the purpose of studying God's word. That's the purpose of studying doctrine is to learn to live the good life in light of the good news to the glory of the good God. This is what we've been trying to do in our Advent series, right? We've been trying to paint a theological picture of reality saying, let's zoom out and look at the story of God's actions throughout history, past and in the present and in the future. And let's learn to shape our lives to live in accordance to this story, to learn, learn to live in accordance to the God who is working in history to save a people. Through his son. We've looked at the past. We've looked at the present. And today I want to use 2 Peter 3 to help us look to the future. See, Peter faced this same challenge when he was writing to this church in the letter, second letter that he sent to this church that he was writing to. He said that these scoffers are going to arise and they're going to claim an alternate reality. But here's the truth. And then he says, what sort of people ought we to be in light of this truth? So we're going to look at that today and say, what is the shape of reality according to God's word? And then what sort of people ought we to be in light of that reality? So let's read Second Peter. We're going to actually read the whole of chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Second Peter 3, verse 1. He says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief And then the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. We're going to walk through this chapter and see Peter paint this picture of these scoffers that are claiming an alternate reality, denying the truth of God's word and how Peter responds and calls us to respond to them. He starts off in verses one to two and says, remember, friends, remember what is real. Verse two, remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. In other words, remember what the prophets have said. What did the prophets do? What did they say? They predicted, sure. But much of the time, their predictions was not foretelling what's going to happen in the future, but foretelling what's happening right now. What is God doing? How is God shaping reality? Remember what the prophets said, what they taught you about God and his character and his promises. Remember the promises of God, friends. That's what Peter's saying. Remember that and remember the commandments of the Lord and Savior. Remember the promises of God, of the good news, and the commandments of God. How to live in light of the good news. That's what what Peter's saying. Remember the good news and how to live in light of it. Remember reality and how to walk accordingly. Remember these things, not because you don't know them. Right? He's saying in verse 1, this is the second letter I'm writing to you, and in both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. 
These are not things that Peter is telling them anew that they didn't know. These are things they already know. He's saying, remember, recall these things. Be stirred up by what you already know. This is, friends, what we do week in and week out. A majority of the time, what I preach is probably not new information to you if you've been a Christian any length of time, right? Why do we do it then every week? We do it because we so quickly and easily forget reality. And we need to be reminded, right? Why do we sing these true things in the songs we sing? It's not because we don't know them. We repeat it not because we didn't hear it the first time, but because we need to have our reality shaped, our vision of reality shaped by what is real and true and good and beautiful according to God's word. This is the same reason we gather together to embody the reality of our faith with one another. As you hear others sing, as you hear others proclaim the truth of God's word, your faith is stirred. Your faith is strengthened. Your vision of reality is made more true to God's word. Right? That's the same reason we pray in light of the truth of reality. It's the same reason we read scripture. It's the same reason we read the Bible once and then we don't set it on our shelf and say, I've read that book. We come back to it again and again and again to be reminded of what we already know, not to acquire new information, but to see what is real. That's what Peter's saying here to do. I'm going to stir you up by reminding you what you already know. And friends, we can grow weary of that reminder, right? We can easily tune out on Sunday. Even me as I'm preaching can tune out and say, I've heard this before. I know this already, right? But Peter is calling these saints and calling us not to grow weary of these reminders look at what he says in chapter 1 chapter 1 verse 12 chapter 1 verse 12 peter says this i intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have in other words you know these things and you're doing good but i'm going to remind you of them look at how far he goes in reminding them i think it right as long as i am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder since i know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our lord jesus christ made clear to me in other words peter knows he's going to die soon and he doesn't try to download a bunch of new stuff to them right what does he do with his last letter to them he writes them about stuff they already know Because they need to be reminded of the truth of God's word. He writes to them, he says, even in verse 15, I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. In other words, friends, I'm going to repeat it enough to you that you remember it even after I'm gone. That's what we need. That's what God gives us in these weekly means of grace. The regular things of reading scripture and prayer and gathering together as God's people so that we can be reminded of reality. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Look back at chapter 3. This is so important because chapter 3, verse 3, you know this. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. With scoffing, following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where's the promise of his coming? Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Why is this so important? Because scoffers will come and claim 
a different reality. Those who reject God and his word and his reality will come and claim something else is true. Something else is the shape of the world. They will come and Peter's saying in this day, claim that God is not keeping his promise. Where is the promise of his coming? In other words, Jesus hasn't come back yet. He said he would, but he's not here. So clearly, Jesus isn't going to keep his promise. And not only that, but God's not going to judge unrighteousness. That's what they're saying in the second part of their claim. When they claim that everything is continuing as it was. Everything is continuing as it was, verse 4. Ever since the fathers fell asleep. Ever since the beginning of creation. In other words, God hasn't judged wickedness. We know from verse 5 that they're overlooking an important fact, which we'll get to in a minute. But listen to their claim. Jesus hasn't returned. The wicked are not judged. So what's their, what's their conclusion? Do what you want. Be who you want to be. Do what you want because there's no consequences. Why are you trying so hard to walk in holiness, friends? Jesus isn't coming. Eat, drink, and be merry. Right? That's what they're claiming. That's what they're claiming. And the thing is, it's kind of plausible, right? Like, it's pretty easy to look out at the world and see the wicked prosper. Man, it seems like they get ahead when they cheat. Or it seems like God doesn't judge them when they live contrary to his ways. And it's pretty easy to see that Jesus hasn't come back yet. Right? So the scoffing is not implausible things, friends. These are plausible realities. But they are not true. But they seem close to the truth. Why do these scoffers claim this contrary reality? Why do they claim that something that's not true is true? None of us really want to do that. But why do they think this is true? Look what he says in verse 3. These scoffers will come... In last days with scoffing. And what will they be doing? Following their own sinful desires. They follow, not God, not the Spirit, but they follow their own sinful desires. And what does this lead to? Look at verse 5. What does this lead to? Verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact. These scoffers, those who come and claim a reality contrary to God, And creation that he has made are following their own sinful desires and therefore deliberately overlooking the facts of creation, the facts of redemptive history. They're deliberately overlooking the facts of God's word. How does that work? What does that look like? Why would they do that? We see in Romans 1 that what can be known about God is plain from creation. But what do we do? In our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. We deliberately overlook the truth. Why? Because we're driven by sinful desires. Think about some ways that manifests today. Driven by the sinful desire to have myself be the center of my own reality. I could claim to be a woman overlooking the biological fact that I am a man, right? That's what transgenderism is. It's wanting 
desperately to be the center of your own reality, to define reality for yourself and not by anyone else outside of you, to be true to yourself. And so what does it cause you to do? Deliberately overlook the fact of reality. Deliberately overlook biology. Same thing is true for abortion. Driven by a desire for personal autonomy at any cost. What does it cause someone to do? It causes them to look at a baby growing inside of the womb and not see a baby, but to see tissue. To see just fetal tissue. No life. Deliberately overlook the facts because they're driven by sinful desires. This is the way sin works, friends. Right? Sin will always cause us to distort reality to fit it. That's what we'll do as sinners. We will always overlook the reality of God's word and his creation to justify our sin. doesn't matter what sin you're pursuing. If you're pursuing it, it's because you are shaping reality to fit your sin rather than having your reality shaped by God's word. This is a danger for us, right? If we are not anchored to the truth of God's word, then our sinful hearts, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, right? will shape reality to fit and justify our own sin. That's what these scoffers are doing. It is wicked and it is evil, but we ought not look at them and say, how dare them? We ought look at them and say, man, but for the grace of God, that's where I would be. Peter does not leave us wondering how distorted this reality is, but he gives us an example right away by giving us two facts that contradict what these scoffers are claiming. Very clearly, very easily. Verses 5 to 7, the first fact. God has judged and God will judge again. Look at verse 5 with me. They deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the word of God and water... The world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the flood, right? Noah. He's talking about the days of Noah where God judged the whole earth because of descent into sin. Because of embracing a reality contrary to his creation and pursuing their own satisfaction in their sin. God judged them in the days of Noah and wiped them out. And then he promised he would not judge the world by water again, right? But what did he do? Verse 7, by the same word, the same power of God, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. In other words, judgment is still going to come. God will still judge the wicked. He has shown us the flood When we read that story, it's meant to be a warning that God takes sin seriously. And he will judge sin. Why does he wait? That's the second fact that Peter does not want us to overlook. Verse 8, look at this. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved. 
That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What's he saying there? He's saying God's slowness to fulfill his promises is not because he's indifferent to unrighteousness. It's not because he's impotent and unable to keep his promise. It's because he's merciful. These scoffers who would say, look, God hasn't judged. Jesus hasn't come back. I can live however I want. They are spitting in the face of God. And what's his response? Patience with them. Mercy towards them. Willing that they should repent and turn from their scoffing. And trust God. That they should turn and see his patience not as indifference and impotence, but as mercy. That's what the truth about reality is. That God's patience is mercy towards his people. His patient mercy does not mean he will not judge. Verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief when you least expect it. And then the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The reality is that God does judge wickedness. And will judge wickedness in a final judgment by fire, dissolving, as Peter says, all that we see. And exposing all the works done to judgment. That leads Peter, this vision of reality, this picture of a theological reality that says all of this is passing away. Leads Peter to ask the key question for us. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. In which righteousness dwells. What sort of people Ought you to be in light of this reality? Or another way to think about that is verse 13. If we are waiting, as he says, if we are waiting for this promise of a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, and that's the reality that will persist beyond the judgment, all of this that you see will be gone. That is the reality that's eternal. This will be a blink of the eye compared to that. If that's reality where we are going to live and exist and continue and experience God's goodness, then how should you live right now? What should you do? How do you live in a way that prepares you to live in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells? A new heavens and a new earth where we see in Revelation that the temple comes down and there is no more need for sun. Because God himself is the light. Where God dwells with his people once again. If that's reality. And it is friends. If that's what 
the future holds, what sort of people ought you to be? The world would look around at this world and say, I see it. It's temporary. I get it. We all die. You only live once. So live life to the fullest. Right? Live life to the fullest. The good life is to be healthy enough now that you can enjoy life to the fullest. To live long enough to see your grandkids and maybe great grandkids. That's the goal. But friends, God says in his word that the goal is to live in a way that prepares you to live in the kingdom to come. The goal, the destiny for us is is to be prepared to live in a place where righteousness dwells. That's what we're called to do. Living mainly for now. Living mainly for now is like putting up an ice house on Fountain Lake in March. It's stupid. Don't do it. Right? You're just going to have to take it off again. Or it's going to fall through the ice. Because that is passing away. If you live for now, it's like investing in the stock market in the summer of 1929. When you know that Black Tuesday is coming and it's all going to crash. Don't do it. Live in light of the new creation. Live as God's people. Conform your lives to the true reality of the kingdom that is to come. How do we do it? What does that look like? That's where Peter goes at the end of his letter here. Verses 14 to 18, he says this. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot, or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters. When he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twists to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Peter tells them, be holy, right? Be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Be holy. Live according to the norms of the coming kingdom, right? If this was all there is, and then you die and cease to exist, it makes very little sense to deny yourself any pleasure as long as it doesn't maybe harm someone else. That's kind of how our world operates, right? As long as it's consent, as long as it's not harming anybody else, Feel free to pursue whatever pleasure you want. God's reality says, no, this is not all there is. And you are called to live according to the norms of the kingdom to come. And that means rejecting the sinful pleasures of this passing world. Be holy, be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Verse 14. Also in verse 14, be at peace. The reality is, friends, when you become frustrated... With someone else in the body of Christ. 
and you find it difficult to let go of that frustration and to forgive, you are frustrated with someone you will be spending eternity with. And so right now, you can live according to this reality that one day, you and that person will be at perfect peace. And you can even experience peace now, knowing that both of you are headed in a direction and to a reality where this will seem inconsequential. You can extend forgiveness because of this new reality. And you can even learn to live at peace with others who offend you and who frustrate you and who seem to do evil even, knowing that there is a judgment coming and that God will judge justly. And that those who wrong you will either be forgiven by the blood of Christ and the same mercy that you were forgiven. Or they will endure much more significant punishment for their sin than you could ever dole out on this earth. And so you can live at peace with others, learning to entrust yourself to God who judges justly. Be holy. Be at peace. Be patient. As our Lord God is patient. Verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Learn to count the delay of the coming of Christ as mercy. See, we can become impatient. We can become frustrated. We can become discouraged when we see and long for the coming of the Lord and he isn't coming yet. Jesus, why didn't you come in 2019? Why did we have to go through 2020? When we do that, friends, we're looking at the coming of our Lord, not as salvation, not as the delay being merciful, but as we're good. So let's go. Right. We need to learn to share the heart that God has to see sinners come to repentance, to see the patience and long suffering of the Lord as mercy towards us and extend that mercy towards others we should have yes an eager longing for the coming of christ one of the ways i've heard it put i think is helpful is we should want it more but need it less we should we still need it but we should not need it so much that we're willing to leave behind those who don't know christ we should long to see them come to salvation be patient Be at peace, be holy, be wise, verse 16 to 18. Peter talks about these people who twist the scriptures. Because Paul writes things that are hard to understand. And it's true, there are hard to understand scriptures. And the wicked, in pursuit of their own sin, following after their own sinful pleasures, will twist the scriptures. We need to learn to be wise and not be like they are ignorant and unstable, twisting the scriptures to their own and others' destruction. Instead, we need to grow in the knowledge of Christ. That's how we gain wisdom, is by learning Christ. We grow through remembering the reality that God has given. That's what Peter's trying to do in this whole chapter. And we grow by learning Christ through discipleship. Paul gives a vision of this, speaking of Paul, in one of his letters, Ephesians 4, he says this, Ephesians 4, 11, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, 
the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What for? For building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's knowing Christ. That's learning Christ, friends. Why? Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Friends, that's what we need. We need to learn Christ that way by mutual encouragement and discipleship, building one another up so that we grow into the maturity of Christ so that we're not swept about by every wind of doctrine, Paul says. But not just doctrine, even every wind of desire, right? Every wind of sinful desire that can pull us away from the reality of Christ. We need to learn Christ. And last But not least, and I think summarizing all of them, we need to be diligent. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent. Be diligent like a bride that's preparing for a wedding. You think about it, right? As the wedding date approaches, you have all the wedding preparations, sure. But you also have other things, right? A bride and a groom to be get their finances kind of in order and figure out how all their accounts are going to work. They get things moved in to whichever place they're going to move into. They get things set up with their family, figuring out how to coordinate all of these things. They get things set up like the honeymoon for after the wedding. All of this preparation takes place leading up to the wedding. You would wonder at a bride and a groom just sitting there not doing any of this, right? You would say, what's up with you? Why are you doing that? We are called to be diligent like a bride preparing for the wedding day. And friends, that's reality. We are a bride preparing for the wedding day. Right? It's not just pretend to be diligent and pretend to be a bride preparing for a wedding day. We as the church of Christ are his bride. And we are preparing for a wedding day. When Christ will come and consummate our marriage by bringing us to him. So as we think about this new year and as we think about what sort of people ought you to be, I think what we should be thinking about is what preparations do I need to make this year? What preparations do I need to make as a bride preparing for a groom? How should I live as one who is betrothed to Christ? That's what we need to be thinking about. Let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Father, thank you for your word that shows us what is true. It shows us what is good and right and beautiful. Father, help us to live in light of these things. Help us to not be like the one who goes to the scripture like a mirror and looks and sees his own face and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. Help us not to be, like Peter said, one who is so nearsighted that they cannot see the truth. And is so nearsighted that they are blind. 
But God, help us keep these realities, especially the reality that we are a bride waiting for a groom in front of our eyes this year. Shape our entire reality by these truths, God, and help us walk then according to this good news. To walk in accordance with Christ. Father, we trust that you will do these things by your spirit. It's your will to do these things. So we know that when we ask, we don't have to beg because you are not interested. But God, we ask as children expecting their father to keep his word. And so fill us with faith. Even now we pray. Amen.